Let's pray and get this day started. God, thanks so much for today. Thanks for the sunshine. Thanks for the warm weather. We have so much to be grateful for. We, we are blessed and we know it. And we just acknowledge that before your throne this morning. I pray that you'll be with me and give me the words to say. I pray that you'll fill me with your Holy Spirit and allow me to communicate your truth to the people that are here. And I pray that our light will shine so bright that people will wonder what's going on with those people and want to know your son Jesus. It's in his name I pray this. Amen. Um, today, if I were to assign a, a topic for today, what I'm talking about, it would be the extraordinary life. Extraordinary life. And I want to start out by talking about something, and I want to be real sensitive the way that I communicate this illustration, because it's a sensitive, it's, it, we're still pretty tender about what I'm going to talk about, uh, our hearts. Um, and it, also, this story is not about me. This is about God and what God is doing. Uh, but we, the GNCC Nation was rocked a couple weeks ago when Laz and Marianne Summers were on the way to the race and uh, their plane crashed and they died. And uh, we were very, very much saddened by that. All of us were affected. Anybody that knew Laz and Marianne, they were, especially the ATV community, was really affected by this. And it was a tragic event. Um, before I even left the racetrack at Big Buck, uh, somebody came up to me and said, Hey, I've been in touch with Brandon Summers, and he's probably going to contact you and ask you to do the memorial service for Laz and Marianne. And I said, Well, of course, I'd be, I'd be honored to do that. I, without question, I would certainly do it. And... Um, so sure enough, Brandon got a hold of me and said, hey, you know, there's going to be a lot of people from the racetrack community that's going to be there. My dad was very specific. He didn't want anybody crying over this. So we're going to have a celebration of life. And would you, uh, would you head that up? Would you perform that, if you will? And I said, well, of course, I, you know, no question. Absolutely, I'll be there if that's what you want me to do. I'll, I'll be happy to do that. I'd be there anyway. But uh, if you want me to do this, fine. Um, man, I've never done a funeral. I don't know. I don't know how to do something like that. That's way beyond me. And I look at young preachers and, that are in country churches, and you know, some some older person dies, and you know, six people show up because that's all their friends that are left. I'm like, man, that would be not that it's easy, but that ain't what I'm called to do. How do I do this, God? And so I started praying. I was like, God, give me the word, show me the passage, and I started. What, what do I do? I was really at a loss. And so I called a pastor friend of mine up in New York and, and talked with him. And he kind of gave me some pointers on what he does with funerals, gave me some passages of scripture. And I looked at him and I read them and I pondered them and I prayed on it. I just, I had no peace. And so I went up Friday night to Ohio and I pulled into the church parking lot on Good Friday. And it was, the church was actually pretty packed because they had a service there. I had room to fit the rig and the trailer and everything. And and I, I still didn't know what I was going to say. Saturday morning, I got up way early, like 5 or 6 in the morning, and the, the service wasn't until 2. And I just started praying, and I started reading my Bible. And any time that I speak, I always have notes. I learned this back in college. I totally bombed a public speaking class one time because I thought, man, I am so good at public speaking, I can just wing it. And when I got up in front of the public, uh, in front of the class for that speech... I totally bombed. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to say. And so from now, from that point on, I always have notes. So people say, what is that cool little Bible you have? It's not. It's actually, I just paste my notes into here and uh, try to look professional up here as best as I can. And so I wanted to be prepared for this memorial service, and I could not put, I, I held my pen over the paper, and I could not make it right. I, just the Holy Spirit did not allow me. And I thought, God, what am I going to say? I didn't know until probably an hour before the service, after praying all morning and reading the Bible, I didn't. I, I finally had a couple of things that I might want to say. And then it was time to go in for this memorial service. 
And so I had my suit and tie on, and I was looking as nice as I could be, as professional as I could be. And I went into the church auditorium, and they had 500 seats set up in this large auditorium. And it was packed with seats, more than they fill up for Sunday morning services. And people started filling in. And before you knew it, I mean, there was only a couple seats left. And then those seats got taken, and people just kept on filing in, kept on filing in. And they're, they're going down the wall of this auditorium, and they're starting to spill around in the back. And the Holy Spirit just kind of took hold of me. And I realized there are hundreds of people here who have probably never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have never heard that God loved them so much that he sent his son to die for them and that we can have an eternal life in heaven, that we can be secure in our relationship with the one who created us. They've never heard this. And this is your opportunity to share the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. And I started crying. I do that. Whenever the Holy Spirit comes on me like that, I cry like a teenage girl watching Gone on the Wind. I cry. And uh, so I'm back there and I'm, I'm realizing these people are filling in. The whole auditorium, the place is packed. The foyer, people are standing out in the foyer because they can't get into the auditorium. They can't even see what's going on. And the Holy Spirit is on me like, I have a plan for you, Chuck. This is a moment that's going to go down in eternity. And I was like, well, I can't do this if I'm crying because I'm the one. If I can't keep it together, ain't nobody else going to be able to keep it together. And so believe that God dried the eyes and, and I was just moved by the Spirit. I was sad, but that's not the reason for my tears. It was that God was on me. And so I got up in front of the, uh, got up in front and it was my turn to say something and the Holy Spirit just came on me. And it was a weird experience because all the preaching I've ever done is right here. We hear dirt bikes and we hear the PA and we see people walking by. There's all these distractions. I got up in front of there Six or seven hundred people, you could hear a pin drop. Man, all eyes are on me, and just God, I don't, I don't know what I said. For the most part, I really don't remember what I said. It was just God talking through me. And uh, I had some confirmation at the end of the service. We were all standing out in the parking lot for a little celebration, uh, just, just kind of hanging out. And somebody came up to me and said, man, God used you today in a powerful way. And I started crying again because the Holy Spirit was on me to say, listen to this guy. He's got a word for you. He said, God used you in a powerful way today. I believe that there were many people that prayed that prayer with you at the end of that service because I prayed, if you wanted to accept Christ, this is what you would do. This is how you would say it. And uh, many people prayed that with you today. And I said, really? And I got to talking with this guy. And he was a distant relative of the family, grew up in the United States, moved to the Middle East when he was like 21 years old. And today, he's a pastor of an underground church in one of the, in one of the uh, countries out in the Middle East. And uh, God's doing great things through him. And he sees the Holy Spirit moving. And he sees God working. And when he talked to me, I knew that God had a message for me through this guy. And it was amazing. And that's why I want to talk to you today. The extraordinary life. The Holy Spirit. <laughs> and, uh, wow, you know, there's, I've talked to a lot of people over the years and, and, and I've heard, there are many reasons I don't want to become a Christian. Least of which is y'all are weird. You start talking about stuff like the Holy Spirit, man, people start getting a little edgy. Like, what is that all about? And if you talk to certain Christians from different denominations, it's not the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Ghost, but you got to say it the right way. The Holy Ghost. you got to have the right draw to it. You know, Christians get talking, and it's like, man, that's a little weird. I don't really know what to think about that. So what is this whole business of the Holy Spirit is this like enigmatic thing can't really can't really place it but it is all through the Bible matter of fact from the story of creation the Spirit of God hovered over the waters you read that and you're like what is that all about I don't know you don't really hear anything about the Spirit of God until you get to a guy named David David the greatest king that Israel ever had 
If you remember the story in uh, 1 Samuel, Samuel the prophet comes to David's house and anoints him as king, like you are going to be the king, uh, the next king of Israel. And it says there, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. One of the next stories you read about David is David and Goliath. Now that's a cool story. That's an extraordinary life right there. David and Goliath, a little old shepherd boy, about 16 years old, goes up against a nine foot tall giant, slings his, uh, his slingshot around and whacks the guy right in the middle of the eyes. He falls down. David takes his sword, the, the, the giant sword, cuts his head off. That's a cool story. The Spirit of the Lord was on David from that moment on. Only guy in the Old Testament that we know of that the Spirit of the Lord was on David from that moment. There are other people in the Old Testament where we read a cool story like Samson. The Spirit of the Lord came on him in a mighty way and he did something extraordinary and fantastic. But David had the Spirit of God from the very beginning of his king career, if you will. And, uh, and, and if you read in context, you find out that when Joshua led the Israelites into the Promised Land, God said, here's a map. And here's what you guys are going to take over. When, when the Israelites first went in there, they only took over a little bit of it. The kingdom never flourished until David was king of Israel and then it expanded its borders, greatly expanded its borders and really filled up the area that God had promised to him. The Spirit of the Lord was on David. Extraordinary things happened. Spirit of the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a, there's a small mention throughout the Old Testament. A lot of these books are prophetic. You know, we've got these prophets like Isaiah that's going to the king and going to the people and he's preaching and saying, hey, this is what God says. Isaiah has a small mention of the Holy Spirit. It says, um, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, my blessing on your descendants. Just a quick, quick little, quick little blurb there. Later on, many, many years later, Joel, the prophet Joel, says this, It shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. Even the poor people, even the people that, uh, that are the last, the least, the overlooked, the unexpected, I will pour out my spirit on them. Not just the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to, to all the people that aren't called God's special people, the Jews. And at the time that Joel wrote that, Nobody had a clue what he was talking about. Joel didn't even know what he's talking about. He's just writing it down. This is what God said to me. I'll pour out my spirit. Okay, got it. What does that mean? You fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus is on the scene. We know a little bit about Jesus' early life, how he was born of a virgin. We celebrate that at Christmas time. We remember a story, a vague story, about how when he was about 12 years old, they go to the, to, to the temple, they go to Jerusalem for Passover, and Jesus gets left behind at the temple. And uh, three days he's gone, they finally realize, oh, hey, where's Jesus? They go back to the temple, they pick him up. But most of what we know about Jesus' life and ministry starts with Jesus starting his ministry by being baptized by John. And the Bible records that when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit of the Lord descended on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven booms out, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And when Jesus received the Spirit, that's when he started his ministry. And there's never been an impactful ministry the way that Jesus had. I mean, blind people are seeing, the lame are walking, the dead come back to life, and this ministry goes forward, Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we look at that and say, okay, well, Jesus was God come down to man, right? I mean, God can do anything, but it was very, the Bible's very specific. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so as he, as he finishes his ministry, we celebrated Easter just this last week. 
And, as, and we're reminded of those last few days of Jesus' life. He comes into Jerusalem and everybody's Hosanna. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And then Jesus, is in, He goes into the city. He doesn't do any miracles. Doesn't do anything extraordinary. Instead, He makes everybody mad because He overthrows the, the tables in the temple. Drives out the, uh, the merchants that are in the temple area. It doesn't do anything that anybody expects. He's in the upper room. We call it now, we call it the Last Supper. He's in that Last Supper with his 12 disciples, his 12 closest friends, and they're all thinking, all right, man, this is the moment. Jesus is going to be king, right? He's going to overthrow the Romans, and we're going to be like, you know, his governors, and this is going to be great. And Jesus kept talking about, or keeps talking about weird things, like, I'm going to die. Oh, no, you're not going to die. Yeah, I'm going to die. And he starts talking about other weird things. And one of the weird things that Jesus talks about is that uh, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I go away, if I don't go away, then the Helper will not come to you. Well, the Helper, what's that all about? Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to ask the Father. He'll give you another Helper, the Spirit of Truth. But I have to go away. Well, where are you going, Lord? You can't come with me right now. And Jesus has all this weird stuff going on, and they just don't understand. But then what happens? Well, they go out through the Mount of Olives, and then they go into the Garden of Gethsemane, and then Jesus is arrested, and everybody deserts him, and he gets hung on the cross, and he's buried, and, and he's gone for you know two nights, and there's no hope. And then Easter Sunday comes, and wow, Jesus is risen. There's all these, all these uh, people running around saying, I have seen Jesus. And Luke writes the whole gospel. There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark writes a whole account of Jesus' life and times and his ministry, his death, burial, resurrection. And he continues that narrative in the book of Acts. And the way that he opens up the book of Acts is that he, he says, uh, Jesus, if you recall, presented himself alive to the disciples after his suffering, and he showed them many proofs. And one of the proofs that, that Luke had talked about in his gospel was that when Jesus was resurrected, he comes to the disciples in, in a hidden room. They're locked in a room, and then all of a sudden Jesus is there. And they're like, oh, no, we're seeing a ghost. Jesus is like, I'm not a ghost. I got flesh and bone. Look at this. I got nail scars. They still don't believe him. He's like, well, give me a piece of fish. See, ghosts don't eat fish, and he eats a piece of fish. And so Luke re reminds us when he starts his God, when he starts Acts, he says, Jesus proved himself many times to his disciples that he was there. He appeared to them during 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's that weird thing again. You're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And I love this part because they still aren't getting it. They're like, hey, so now that you're back from the dead, are you going to be our king? And Jesus is like, Guys, you're not getting it. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after that, he ascended into heaven. He said, there's a huge mission for you. And it extends way beyond Jerusalem. It extends way beyond freedom from Rome. I have something extraordinary for you. Hang out here, and you'll get it. And then just a few days later, uh, at uh, Pentecost... Matter of fact, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they, the twelve disciples, were all together in one place. And let me just tell you what Pentecost is. Pentecost in Greek means festival of weeks. And it goes all the way back to when uh, the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. The, the angel comes to them and says, hey, or God comes to Moses and says, hey, on this day, make sure that you take a lamb, you, you, you sacrifice the lamb, you take the blood of that, paint it on your doorpost. The angel of death will pass over any house that has the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And, uh, and so at the end of that night, Pharaoh says, get out of here. They leave the exodus Egypt, and they go into the wilderness. 
40 days later, or seven weeks later, 49 days later, they are at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai, and God gives Moses the law, gives him the Ten Commandments. So every year, ever since then, they have this, uh, they have this celebration. They have the Passover celebration. Seven weeks later, day of Pentecost, we remember that God gave us the law. God revealed himself to us, told us how we need to live our lives in order to be pleasing to God. And so that's what Pentecost is. So after Pas- so when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like the mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it goes on to explain that they were speaking in different languages. These men from Galilee, these fishermen, these nobodies, started talking in languages that the mixed population in Jerusalem could understand. And the people, they're from all these different countries, and the Bible lists them all out from the Mesopotamia and all these different countries, and they look at each other and say, how is it that these men from Galilee can speak my language? We're sitting here in Indiana today. It'd be like saying, how'd these hillbillies from Kentucky come up here and start talking Italian and German and Espanol? How's that even possible? And finally somebody says, oh, I know what it is. They're drunk. And Peter gets up. Peter of all people. I love Peter. Because Peter's a lot like me. Peter denied Jesus. You know, just seven weeks earlier, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus, kind of ran away from Jesus. And then Jesus comes to him and says, Peter, it's still game on. I got a plan for you. And, and your moment has not yet come. And here it is. Peter stands up in front of him and says, Ladies and gentlemen, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. It's eight o'clock in the morning, for goodness sake. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And Peter recited what Joel had said. That it shall come to pass, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see vision. Old men will dream dreams. You're seeing this come true before your very eyes. And Peter goes all the way through the whole prophecy of Joel and how it concludes that, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. And Peter preaches. And he preaches. He's like, Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, was God. Jesus of Nazareth is how you can have eternal life and how you can have salvation. And finally, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those who received his word and were baptized were added that day about 3,000 souls. That is awesome. That's an extraordinary life. Peter, the whole time, is thinking, You're going to be the king of Israel, right? And Jesus is like, no, Peter, I'm going to change your name to The Rock. You're going to be The Rock. I'm going to do something extraordinary with you. The gates of Hades won't prevail. You're going to be, you are going to establish the church. I don't even know what church is. Here it is, the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people come to know Jesus because Peter stood up, not because Peter stood up and had anything to say, but because the Holy Spirit came on Peter and used Peter to accomplish the work of God. Reminds me of exactly what Jesus was saying during that Last Supper. Jesus is in that upper room. He's talking about all that weird stuff about dying and about having to go away and a helper. In context of that, Jesus said, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. What did Jesus do? He healed the sick, made the blind see, the lame walk. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. And he continues, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
you catch that? I'm going to read that part again. You know him, for he dwells with you. Who dwelt with these guys for three years? Jesus. He dwells with you and will be in you. There are two words in the Bible, or I'm sorry, there are two words that are not in the Bible that Christians tend to throw around a lot, all right? Rapture is never found in the Bible. Paul talks about something, there's not a name for it, but in Thessalonians he talks about the end of time when uh, the dead will rise and those who are living will be caught up in the sky to Christ. We call that the rapture, but the word rapture is never found in the Bible anywhere. The word trinity is never found in the Bible anywhere. But we believe that there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That the three are one, but they're distinctly different. And we don't understand that, but all through the, the Gospels, we hear Jesus talking about, I and the Father am one. We're one. And then right here, he says, you know the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you. Jesus dwelt with him and will be in you. You ever heard somebody say, have you accepted Jesus into your heart? That term's never in the Bible either. But this is kind of where we get it from, because Jesus is telling his disciples, I've been here with you. You know the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come to you and will be in you. So the day of Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit moves on these guys, amazing things happen. And here's the deal. You and I that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, we did not do that on our own. God called us. The Holy Spirit drew us to himself in a supernatural way as only God can do. We didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, I'm a dirty, rotten, filthy scoundrel and a sinner. I need to do something about that. No, we came under conviction of the Holy Spirit and we said, God, only you can do something in my life that's so amazing. I don't deserve to come before you, but I am a sinner and I'm aware of that because the Holy Spirit has impressed that all my life. But here's the problem. Most of us that have come to know Jesus Christ through faith in Christ, we forget that that's how we live our lives. And we get to live them by rules and laws and regulations. We tend to do one of two things with, with laws and rules and regulations. We think that we can live, we think we can live our lives in such a way as to please God. Now that I'm a Christian, I'm going to be able to please God. And here's what happens: one of two things. We either live a life of legalism, which means that we live our life by law and rule. We've got rules that thou shalt not drink, chew, smoke, you know, can't go have any fun. And in order to not do that, here are the things that we have to do. We've got to go to church at least three times on Sunday and probably once on, on Wednesday. We've got all these rules that we got to do, and it's called legalism. And legalism doesn't work because guys like you and me, we have no interest in any of that. Here we are at a racetrack. We're like, man, that sounds, that sounds really boring. That sounds really bad. I grew up in some churches, or I've been in churches before. That were, that were governed by rule of law, where we had lots of different laws. Like the most exciting thing was the SOS class would come in on Sunday morning. If you don't know what SOS class is, I'm not really sure either. It had something to do with senior citizens. I, th I always thought it was like the uh, senile old saints, <laughs> what it stood for. So the senile old saints would come in on Sunday morning, and they'd talk about their bowling, out or their bowling outing that weekend before, you know, how they went bowling on Saturday night. And the talk of the day was they were playing that rock and roll music at that bowling alley, just ruining my experience. Well, hell's bells, Lucille. <laughs> you need a little ACDC to get your pulse going. We don't get it. Legalism. You see, you look at that and you say, I don't want any part of that. That sounds boring. I can't live by that. And so what we end up doing is we, we equate that to be a Christian is to have all these rules, to be the SOS class. And you're like, heck with that. And we give up. We say, all right, I know that God's real. And I know that he's special to some people, but he doesn't seem to be that special to me. At least I got fire insurance. I'm going to live my life my own way. And so we tend to give up. We have this idea of here are the rules. 
can't live by it. I just give up. I don't know what else to do. I'll go and live my life my own way, do the best that I can. And that's not how we were called to faith in Christ. That's not the extraordinary life. By any means, that is not the extraordinary life. That is not what God had in mind when He sent Jesus to this earth and actually put Him on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. A God who is willing to do that to His own Son has something more in store for you and me than a bowling alley on Friday nights. The extraordinary life. Paul spent most of his ministry dealing with this exact issue. Because so many times, people, all they knew was that 613 laws that God had given to, to Moses on Mount Sinai. And so in order to please God, here are the things that you need to do. And Paul kept saying, no, it's not about laws. It's about freedom in Christ. And so there, at one point, he writes a letter to the church in Galatia. And they're dealing with this. And not only were they trying to please God by living by a whole bunch of laws and rules, they were dragging other people in and saying, okay, you've been saved by faith in Christ, now here's what you've got to do, and started forcing them to comply to their laws. And so Paul just lays it out there. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly, publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by works of the law, by being good and following a bunch of rules, or did you receive it by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You see, even I, today in 2014, I fall into this trap. I keep having in the back of my mind that if I can just be good enough, then God will be pleased with me. And if God is pleased with me, then God will bless me. And if God will bless me, He'll answer my prayer request. If I can only be good enough, if I can only conquer this sin issue in my life, if I can only do this, then God will. And Paul's like, oh, foolish Chuck. <laughs> that is not how you came to faith in Christ. You came to faith in Christ by faith alone. It wasn't by works. It wasn't by being a good person because there's nothing you can do that's going to be good enough. You're never going to get a handle on that sin issue in your life. You're never going to conquer anything. It's only by God's grace that you have breath in your lungs. And if you come to faith in Christ that way, you're only going to fulfill your faith in Christ that way. And He's given you a helper, the Holy Spirit. When it comes to being good enough, as I was preparing this message, I thought about a guy who was good enough. I thought about a guy who was gooder than me. And I know, I know that's not a word. Gooder is not a word. But make the point. This guy was good. He lived in the 19th century. His name was Dwight L. Moody. You might have heard of him. He was a famous evangelist of the 19th century. He was born in 1837, died in 1899. He started a church in Chicago before the Chicago Fire. And the church was successful and it was prosperous. A lot of people started coming to church and to listen to D.L. Moody. As he would hold his meetings, there were, there were two little old ladies on the front row. Um, Auntie Cook and Mrs. Snow. These two elderly ladies always sat on the front row and they listened to D.L. Moody speak. And, and he could tell, uh, as he recounts it, this uh, in one of his journals, he could tell that they would sit on that front row and that they were always praying. And at the end of every service, they would come up to him and they'd say, hey, Pastor Moody, we're praying for you. And finally, one time, he got exasperated. He said, why are you praying for me? Why don't you pray for the people in the audience that they'll hear the gospel and respond to the gospel? And they're like, oh, Pastor Moody, we're praying that you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's like, what? What is that all about, man? I'm, 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 a, I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. People are coming and listening to me. The church is growing. Baptized in the Holy Spirit. But instead of chastising them, he thought about it. What are they talking about? And so the next week he approached them and says, What exactly are you talking about when you say you're praying for me to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? And he had a conversation with them and he said, Well, can, can I pray with you? 
as you pray for me? And so they prayed together. And then D.L. Moody, he recounts, he started praying on his own earnestly that God would answer that prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me just read it to you. This was recorded from his journal in a couple of different books, so it was easy to find. He recounts that, well, one day, after praying many, many weeks, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day, I I cannot even describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke for 14 years, which you can read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, Paul had this crazy experience. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. You see, after this experience in New York City with God revealing himself in such an amazing way, the D.L. Moody had to come off the street of New York, go to a friend's house, say, give me a room, sat in that room for hours, tears of joy, just filled with the Holy Spirit, had this amazing experience. It was after that experience that D.L. Moody's evangelistic crusade or career, however you want to put it, just took off. After this point, in two years' time, he preached over a hundred million people throughout the world. After this point, over a million people came to faith in Jesus Christ. It was after this experience that D.L. Moody founded three Christian schools and a publishing company. All these amazing things. And this was before microphones were even invented. Before there were jet airliners and he's traveling the world and God's using him in a mighty way. D.L. Moody At the end of his life, he's quoted as saying, I know perfectly well that wherever I go and preach, there are many better preachers than I am. All I can say is that the Lord uses me. Gave all the credit to God that it was God working through D.L. Moody that did all these amazing things. In that last supper that we keep referring to when Jesus is saying all these weird things to his disciples that they don't understand, he leads them out of that last supper. They're going through the Mount of Olives. And he says, I am the vine. He compares himself to the trees around him. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, as I open up the, the story today of, of me being used by God at a, a memorial service, and we look at D.L. Moody and how God used him as an incredible preacher in the 19th century, we say, you know, that's great, but I'm not called to be a preacher. I'm not called to be an evangelist. I'm not called to be a minister. I'm, you know, my life is I'm a construction worker or I'm a plumber. I'm an electrician. I am whatever. Fill in the blank. He, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. You see, you were made for something more. We are all ministers of the gospel. We're never going to be the best plumber, electrician, construction worker, preacher, or whatever it is that we do for a living. We're never going to be the best that we can be apart from God. God is so active. Even when I'm turning wrenches as a professional mechanic on a arena cross, God is in that. If I'll give it up to Him and say, God, be my God. Fill me with the Holy Spirit some way, somehow. I don't know what it looks like. God's used turning wrenches to bring people to Christ. That's an everlasting, eternal, extraordinary purpose. We can have a billion dollar house on this earth, but it's only going to burn up at the end of time. We can have Bubba's world. We can have three motocross tracks at our home and drag race Ferraris through town and think that that's the greatest thing ever, but it has nothing to do with eternity. The extraordinary life is a filled and fulfilled life on this earth and it stretches into eternity. And that is my prayer for you. If you don't understand any of this, like the Holy Spirit, man, I just thought that was one of the weird things the Christians talk about. I want you to experience it for yourself. Study it. Learn about it. God moves in mysterious ways, and He wants so badly to touch you. I've got Bibles if you'd like to study this on your own, or I'll talk to you about it. I'll pray with you. That's what I'm here for. 
but I want you to have an extraordinary life. That's what God has for you. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for our time together. This is a it's kind of a strange message, Lord, because it's, uh, you know, honestly, it's weird. We don't talk about this stuff very much. But the Holy Spirit, it's you. And you want to make yourself known to us. You did that through Jesus. But beyond that, you want to be so much more personal to us than just a story from 2,000 years ago. You want to be in us, and you want to work through us. Make yourself real to us. Touch the families that have been affected by the tragedy of the last couple weeks. Be with Rory Mead. We pray for healing, but we also pray for a heart transformation in him as well. And others, many others around this racetrack that haven't come to know the love of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be your vessels. Fill us. Use us. We look forward to getting back together again. In the name of Jesus, amen.